Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Frequent Criers Club podcast. My name is Grace, and as always, I'm joined by the absolutely stunning Julia. Today, our conversation is about eating disorders, and we have an incredible master's student from Western University named Abby Kinnear, who's joining us to talk about this important conversation. However, I do want to throw up a trigger warning. We do talk about eating disorders. We do talk about disordered eating and weight stigma. So if these are topics that are just not comfortable for you to listen to right now, that is completely okay. You can click away now. Otherwise, we are so excited to have you join us for this informative, educational, and fun conversation with Abby. If you enjoy this episode, please give us a follow on Spotify, a rate and review on Apple Music, and please recommend this podcast to your friends and family because that really helps us out. Thank you so much for listening, and let's get into the episode. And we're back with the absolutely incredible Abby Kinnear. Abby is a second year master's student here at Western University. I had the absolute pleasure of meeting Abby this year in the Pear Lab, where she does her research. And the Pear Lab is an eating disorder research lab where I work as well. So we are so grateful to have her here. She's super intelligent, really knowledgeable in the field of eating disorders. And not only is she completing her master's in this field of research, but she's also going to be getting her PhD. So Abby, can you please tell us a little bit more about yourself and about your research? We're so happy to have you. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. So uh, yeah, so I'll be finishing my master's soon and then starting the PhD in the fall. Um, which is going to be a long haul. But yeah, so my research is on, uh, I'm, my lab studies eating disorders. And one of the things that I'm really interested in um, is the functions of eating disorders. So functions being like the reasons why people engage in eating disorder behaviors and what eating disorder behaviors do for people. Um, so for my um, master's thesis, I interviewed some people who engage in eating disorder behaviors, and I interviewed clinicians who treat eating disorders to ask them about their perspectives on what the various functions of eating disorder behaviors are. Um, and now our next step is going to be creating a measure, and then the hope is that clinicians can administer this measure to their clients, patients, um, in order to determine what functions their eating disorder is serving and rather than kind of treating like the outward eating disorder behavior being able to treat the underlying reason why someone is engaging in the first place and and hopefully um, directly targeting that function will maybe lead to some better outcomes. So exciting and Abby just gave us the news today that she actually she actually got her PhD offer at Western University today which is so exciting. I did. Yeah, we were originally told that we weren't going to get it until we like defended officially Mm -hmm. the masters. But it's nice to have that um, that confirmation. You were just a little bit. You were just too good. You were just too good. They they were like, okay, (laughs) we'll just give the girl the PhD offer. Yeah, don't want to let her slip through (laughs) her fingers. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Um, But one thing I thought was really interesting that you brought up is the kind of the efficacy of treatment, but also the fact that so many conditions are treated in a similar way. And I was just wondering if you could talk a little bit more about that, because I think that's something that a lot of people don't realize. Yeah. 
Um, it's really sad to think about because eating disorder treatment, so like the best treatment that we have right now is um, CBT for eating disorders. And that one only really has, I think it's like a 50%, um, like only 50% of people who aren't underweight um, will recover uh, with that treatment. And only 30% of people with um, who are underweight will recover. So it's really, um, you know, the, like I said, that's, that's the best we have, but not the greatest numbers. So um, mm -hmm. yeah, which is really disappointing. And so the way that the treatment kind of works is it's transdiagnostic and um, it's cognitive behavioral, so it treats a lot of the, um, like, uh, treats a lot of the, the behaviors. Um, and yeah, and kind of, it, it's not, I don't necessarily want to say one size fits all, because that, like, simplifies it too much. But it doesn't really um, go into all of the various reasons why someone might be engaging in eating disorder behaviors. Um, obviously, it works for some people, and that's great. Um, but it, it seems like maybe some people could benefit from other treatments that kind of target emotion regulation more or um if someone is struggling with identity or interpersonal issues there might be better ways of going about it so that's kind of and people people do this already um it's not like this is a really novel idea to like treat the function of behaviors like this is something that's done in dialectical behavior therapy with like chain analysis and kind of looking at all of the behaviors that lead up, or sorry, all of the events and cognitions that lead up to someone engaging in say um, non-suicidal self-injury or for example, like cutting themselves. Um, yeah, so it's not a novel idea, but having a measure can definitely simplify it so that, um, you know, clinicians, we all have biases, I'm not saying I'm a clinician, but like all clinicians as people have biases. Um, mm -hmm. And so it's nice to have a measure to kind of like standardize things. So that's kind of the idea behind this. For sure. And I think one of the things that I really picked up is that everyone is different, right? Who has an eating disorder and there's sort of different people, you're getting different patients. And I think that really is important because I think in society, there is such a misconception of what eating disorders are. And there's sort of this standard picture of it being sort of just an underweight teenage girl. Um, you know, you're usually picturing like a very, very underweight young woman. And I think that's a really, really negative sort of approach to thinking about it because that's such a small percentage of people with eating disorders. I don't know if you know the exact number, Abby, but isn't it like most people who have eating disorders aren't underweight, right? And even the people that present with anorexia nervosa don't present in that way. Correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, don't quite know the stats. Okay. Um, that does make sense to me. I know that like, um, well, for example, anorexia nervosa is the, I believe the least common out of yeah. the diagnoses um mm -hmm. we know that osfed or like what used to be ednos um so like the otherwise specified feeding and eating disorder which is kind of a mix of a bunch of stuff that one is the most common um so yeah so yeah so um when yeah you're right whenever people think about eating disorders they often think about someone who's severely underweight and like oh, you can tell when someone has an eating disorder. Like, you look at them yeah. and you know. Um, yes. That is absolutely yeah. not the case. Um, no, not at all. Yeah. And that's actually a huge problem because um, 
I know anecdotally, like from a friend of mine, but also just this is something that people are talking more about now, um, is weight stigma and how these like perceptions of who has an eating disorder um, really does the it really does have real world implications. Um, you know, there are people who will go to the doctor and say, I think I have an eating disorder. And then the doctor will say, nope, you look healthy to me. You look like a normal weight. Or, you know, if someone is um, in a large body, they might even say like, yeah, keep going. You're losing weight. You're doing great. Good job. So it is a really big problem that we have like a really narrow view of what eating disorders are and what they look like. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Grace and I are both reading a book right now called Hood Feminism. Um, by by Kendall and she basically talks a lot about how eating disorders in communities of color specifically eating disorders in individuals who are again in larger bodies most often go undiagnosed because we tend to see a thin white woman as the definition of a body with an eating disorder and I I pulled a quote which I want to read because I a quote of hers because I think it's really important basically she said Um, She's talking about her experience with eating disorders, and she's saying, if anyone did take note, it would have been easy for them to see my habits as healthy. Americans live in a culture in which the line between clean eating or detoxing and a disordered relationship with food is blurry, at least when it comes to people whose body sizes conform to what we expect. This partly explains why I got away with living with this illness in plain sight. And then she goes on to say, but moreover, I was black. The societal narratives that position the curviness of black girls' bodies as a warning sign of future obesity mean that as young women, we're often congratulated for watching our weight when food restriction might actually be the symptom of real mental problems or real mental health problems. And I think that obviously I can't speak from that personal experience, but I think she summarizes kind of the way that we view health health in Canada and in the States very well. Like you said, Abby, like oftentimes somebody in a larger body who may exhibit disor- disordered eating is often, yeah, like congratulated or even told, wow, you look so good when they yeah. start to lose weight. And then that just kind of perpe- perpetuates that behavior, right? Because that person is getting the validation that they likely are craving in that situation. Yeah, that that is really powerful. And um, yeah, obviously I can't, speak to that either but the well I uh it's really hard because I actually have heard people talk about how you know women's body sizes are a trend and body shapes are trendy and um Mm -hmm. I think along with that comes certain behavioral trends and so maybe whenever heroin chic was the thing um it was more acceptable I guess to like starve yourself or um you know whatever behavior is to like keep or or attain that type of body and now the the everyone is interested in that still unattainable but that fit curvy you know totally we all know like the the body type that we're talking about um and with that comes like its own set of behaviors that are also normalized and so now um I've actually, I heard this on, on another podcast, um, like, you know, Weight Watchers. It used to be Weight Watchers, and now it's rebranded as, like, WW. Right. And I think mm-hmm. a lot of these companies, and just in general, were focused on health and clean eating and working yeah. out. Um, and it's kind of, like, we're still, it's still just similar, or different behaviors with, like, 
still harmful and, and with the same goal in mind, and it's to achieve an unattainable body that's ever-changing. Absolutely. And the problem with diet culture disguised as wellness is that it's so sneaky that people can make those decisions for for themselves that are harmful, and they can just say that it's healthy. They can just say, oh, no, no, I'm just like prioritizing my health and prioritizing my quote-unquote wellness when in reality like you're obsessing over your food intake you're obsessing over every calorie in and out of your body you know I I was talking to Julia the other day about how sneaky diet culture and dieting is in the sense that sometimes people can't don't even realize they're on a diet because they're not on explicitly on keto or they're not explicitly on you know weight watchers or anything like that yet they're still restricting their food intake they're restricting You know, they're only eating at certain times because even if they're hungry, they're ignoring that until it's, quote, you know, mealtime and time to eat, right? You're still dieting, right? You're still dieting. Yeah, Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, It's interesting because for one person, like with this, you know, diet culture being sneaky and not really knowing, like you could be on a diet and like not really know is... Um, a lot of these health behaviors, quote, like quote unquote health behaviors, you can essentially have two people like eating the same way, exercising the same way. And for one of them, it can be disordered and for the other person, not. Um, totally. Yeah. So like in the, in, you know, in our lab meeting, when we were kind of first talking about eating disorders, um, we were talking about, for example, like an elite athlete. Um, and at a certain point, like, you know, if, like someone can be working out um, two hours a day training, and if that's for their athletics, then like, that's great. That's fine. That can be healthy for them. And then it's like, oh, but if they do a little bit of exercise on top of that, that's like further shape and weight after they've done all of this other exercise, then that's when it kind of like takes it over the edge. Um, and yeah, it just depends on people's like what their body needs and how much they're listening to their body. And a lot of it is Mm -hmm. um, anxiety about these behaviors too. And, and the anxiety that comes with not engaging in these behaviors, which I think is really interesting. I think that's such a good thing for people to realize that what might be good for somebody else is not necessarily good for you. Um, Especially like, I'm, it makes me think of videos on YouTube where people show their workout routines or their eating routines and things like that. And um, individuals watch those videos and then try to replicate that behavior for a certain body. Um, like I know Daisy Keach on YouTube has videos like what I eat in a day for like a, I'm like a bubble butter, something like that. And she's showing her workouts and her food. And then people are watching this under the assumption that if they follow her routine, that they can achieve the same body type. But And I'm not saying it's healthy or unhealthy for Daisy, but basically like you cannot assume that what works for somebody else is going to work for you. Mm -hmm. And whether that's like an aesthetic or like health goal. (laughs) Daisy keeps with the activated charcoal. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But that also brings up a really good point. Um, And kind of like what you mentioned earlier, Grace, about like, everybody really is different Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. we accept body diversity in so many other ways like we all have different hair colors 
different yeah. eye colors, you have different heights, there's so much, like, face shape, like, there's so much that's, like, genetically determined, or not genetic, or, you know, not genetically determined, but, um, we have differences. Totally. And so, t- to think that, um, if we were all to behave the same way, that we would all look the same, it's, so it's just wrong. wrong, right? Like, and even... Yeah. Even in terms of, like, body shape, I think we know that, like, people, like, in terms of natural diversity, there is, like, people have different body shapes. Absolutely. Um, yeah. But somehow when it comes to, like, fat distribution or, like, the amount of fat someone has, we think that, like, there's not going to be natural mm-hmm. variance in that. And that, like, we're all supposed yeah. to be in, like, this certain range. There's two points that I want to add on to there. So for one, you said that we all have these different, you know, we ha- we all have body diversity that we ex- accept. And in one way that I think we see that a lot is like shoe sizes, for example. When you outgrow an old pair of shoes, you just buy new shoes. But God forbid that you wear a different size than when you were in high school. I know so many people that struggle with that. And it's so crazy to me because, you know, it it's... We just tie up so much worth into body size. Whereas if it's something like shoe size or like, I don't know, like a pair of, you know, a pair of contacts, for example, if our eyes get worse, like we we change and, and we adapt in other ways. But when it comes to body size, we're just so against that. Um, and it's, it's so crazy to me. And, and the other thing I wanted to point out as well is that something that I found really interesting is that there's lots of people who sort of hold a political view of being liberals. And, you know, they're very, they're, you know, pro-choice. They are really against racism. They're against discrimination in that sense. Yet they're still talking in a way that's discriminatory towards fat people. And that's one thing that I've really noticed lately that's been starting to bother me because I just don't understand how you can walk around, you know, and you're and you're sort of giving off the idea that you care so much about other people, yet you're still really discriminating against a massive group of people um, in, in the world. And I get it. It comes from a place of like miseducation and misinformation, but it does bother me. This is like a can of worms once because once you see it, you can't unsee it. <laughs> totally. Um even yeah. like, uh, yeah. you know, I saw like this post of someone um, making fun of Doug Ford, which, you know, Fair. deserved. Um, and I was on board, yeah. like for most of it. <laughs> um, and then they like made a joke about his weight. And it's, you know, first of all, Doug Ford probably isn't going to see that. But there are tons of fat people. And obviously, like, I mean, fat, like as a yeah. way that people would say tall um, and by by activists, like that's um mm-hmm. you know like a promoted term but um mm-hmm. anyways uh but there are fat people who are gonna see that and it's like you can't just yeah. make fun of something mm-hmm. when you don't like the person completely um, exactly yeah it, it's totally it is really wild to me how that's something that's still so socially acceptable um mm-hmm. and, and again as if that's um a choice and, and i think that's kind of where like health at every size comes in about how um like you can engage in different health behaviors and and still have you know different um body types totally Mm -hmm. yeah and we also see a lot of the 
like a, you know, a fat influencer posts a picture to promote body positivity. And then the comments are full of individuals saying like, you're promoting an unhealthy lifestyle. You're promoting like obesity, all this stuff. Um, but if, if somebody was to post like a model was to post a picture where they're looking maybe incredibly skinny and that's an unhealthy size for certain, uh, certain other people, they don't get any comments like that. They don't get any comments like you're promoting or they don't get the same level of comments saying you're on un- you're promoting an unhealthy lifestyle. People really do yeah. a lot of the time like only care about health whenever it comes to like a fat person. Cuz I've I've yeah. seen the one thing that I've thought about is like let's say someone is struggling with alcoholism um and they just picture mm-hmm. post a picture of themselves like enjoying their life and you know doing whatever and they're you know recovering or dealing with their alcoholism no one says like i'm worried about your health i'm just worried about your health but a fat person yeah. or like in particular a fat woman if someone was to just like post a picture of themselves just and like doing anything like the it's like if a fat person is happy then they're promoting obesity seriously um if yeah. a fat person yeah. is just living their life you're promoting obesity I, re- I remember the other day i was on i don't even know mm-hmm. how it just came up on my explore page and it was some like gym gym wear clothing store and there was this like girl posing in the mirror and first of all she wasn't even fat and once again I mean that in a way of like fat activism but she wasn't even a fat woman and she was just sitting in front of the mirror so that like her belly fat was present and like all of these people in the comments like this is like you're promoting obesity you're promoting an unhealthy lifestyle and it's like oh my gosh this is literally fat phobia because you're actually just pointing out fat on somebody's body and saying that this makes them unhealthy. It's and what gives you the what gives you the right to to comment on somebody's body like that and to assume somebody's health. And I think what that comes down to is the way that we've stigmatized obesity in our society on like a governmental scale with shows like The Biggest Loser, which I know in our preliminary call we talked about how we all used to watch The Biggest Loser and we thought yeah. it was normal. Yeah. We were like, oh, yeah, this is okay. Like, it's just so crazy to me. This is the reason why people think they have permission Mm -hmm. to comment on fat people's bodies and health. Yeah. Well, I think that's such a good thing to bring up that, yeah, like, we all used to watch The Biggest Loser. Like, that's just what was, like, Uh on TV when we were young. Um, But I think that's just, like, a really good example of, yeah, like, maybe you have these preconceived biases, but like look into them ask yourself why you have these beliefs ask yourself like maybe do i judge somebody based off of what Mm -hmm. their body looks like or the way that they like eat or anything like that and just kind of ask yourself why and try to move away from that because you're right grace like a lot of the people i know that are very liberal and very um accepting and you know educated in a lot of senses make fat phobic comments or make comments about eating disorders or other people's bodies in relation to their health. And it is really interesting that they think so critically about a lot of other social justice issues or like issues of equality, but not necessarily about about that. Totally. I saw this post recently that was talking about how um, if shame worked, like if shaming people mm. worked, no one would be fat. Like because of the yeah. amount yeah. of of shame that there is, 
towards people in large bodies like so do you, true like why do people think that that's it's gonna so work unhealthy too. yeah it, it makes well the, sh- the shame yeah. also just makes everything like first of all it's a horrible feeling um yeah. and there's research um i think samantha might have talked about it in mm. our meeting today that there's research to show that the weight stigma can cause more stress and first of all weight stigma can be more harmful to our health than weight itself for sure um and and you know stress can lead people to eat more or it can lead people to engage in eating disorder behaviors either way the outcome's not great Mm -hmm. so i i don't know like what this obsession is with constantly criticizing fat people for living their life and you know making it seem like fat people don't deserve proper health care mm-hmm. or to be treated with respect and dignity and and yeah like you said especially from comes from everyone but also again like people who identify as liberal mm-hmm. you know and mm-hmm. and, and yeah. it's kind of the same with like oh as long as as long as they're healthy well no one owes yeah. you their health either no. so that's really interesting yeah. that you say that as long as they're healthy because I recently read this, I think it was a post on Instagram and it was ex- exactly what you had just said. Nobody owes you their health because when you say, oh, well, as long as they're healthy, that is, you're, first of all, you're actually just excluding, like there's so many people that aren't healthy and they might be in a thin body. Like somebody could have cystic fibrosis, for example, and be on like an oxygen machine every night, but you don't see that when they're just, you know, sitting at the restaurant and they look like a thin person, right? There's disabled people in wheelchairs who are maybe struggling with, you know, like skin issues from sitting on sitting on their chair or they're, or they're you know, they're struggling with like other debilitating issues. And I just feel like that's so true. Nobody does owe you their health. And like there's thin people who are struggling with eating disorders there's fat people that are struggling with eating disorders and you can't just say one's healthy one isn't just by looking at their different body types and there's plenty of fat people that are way healthier than thin people because you know they engage in more healthy lifestyle habits which goes along with haze right the habits are more important than the actual body type so the habits like doing you know movement exercise when you like exercise in a way that feels intuitive and good you know just trying to listen to your body and eat intuitively like those are the things that really add equate to health from you know and it's not bodies yeah 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 and haze being health at every size so i don't know if you've heard of the obesity paradox i have not i don't think so so samantha so um i my lab mate maybe can we maybe like include her her twitter handle at some point for okay, sure because she does yeah. a lot of weight stigma research and so she's um like a genius on this and she's really intelligent um and this is like is. her wheelhouse yeah yeah so this this is her wheelhouse um but yeah the obesity paradox is is like there is evidence like for certain conditions and i think even beyond this people who are like people with higher bmis people who are fat actually have lower mortality rate than people who are thin and at a lower weight and it just so how can um obesity be so tied to health if the obesity paradox exists 
That's so crazy. Riddle me this, someone. That's so crazy because yeah. I feel like yeah. I've always learned different yeah. than that. Yep. Same. Yeah. yeah. So so look it up. It's a thing. It, and That's interesting. Yeah, yeah, and it really runs counter to what we've been taught. And I think, yeah, not talking about it does a disservice to everyone. Mm. But yeah. Because that's, it's, it's so interesting that you say that. So I just... Um, in my third year of university, took a pharmacology course. And in that pharmacology course, we learned a lot about um, various disorders. And we did a unit on like diabetes and hyperlipidemia, like obesity, like all these different metabolic conditions. And the professors really drill home the idea that, and not with, not by directly saying that, but basically they really drill home the idea that being obese is unhealthy or being fat is unhealthy and um and that's just so interesting that that's kind of what we're being taught as university students it's like highly educated generally liberal individuals um that essentially like being fat is bad yeah and also that is like the undercurrent and that that it's a choice and and even if it is affected by someone's behaviors who's to say that those behaviors are um like a choice so like mm-hmm. if we think of, if exactly. we think about like poverty totally. or even just like access to a gym or um, being yep. someone who's accepted at the gym, there there's so many like reasons why. But the thing that's interesting about like you kind of mentioned like what you're being taught and um, the thing that's interesting about research is even if someone like has done research and they say like weight predicted this or BMI predicted this they're probably they're using it as like a as a proxy variable so they're using it like bmi is like pretty easy to measure um and it's like really harmful to just say like oh this is the variable but you're not they aren't actually looking like the real variable of interest would be like health behaviors um and so it's Mm -hmm. kind of harmful it is harmful to like make these claims that it's weight when weight is just like it's a stand-in and it's like a, an easy solution totally yeah yeah i um not to bring in my courses again but i took a healthcare ethics course this semester and one of the papers that we read which i like have thought about a lot since that course was a paper in which the author was talking about quote unquote like free healthcare that we have in canada basically saying that we should not be paying for each other's health care because we are not responsible to pay for the poor, quote unquote, poor health choices of others. So he's saying essentially that people are responsible for their own health outcomes and that they deserve to pay for those health outcomes. Um, I'll, I can link the article in the description so people can read it. Obviously, everybody's entitled to their own opinion. But I remember reading this thinking that's so discriminatory because exactly like you said, Abby, like at the very lowest level, what if you do not have the education to understand that the behaviors you're engaging in might not promote, like, quote-unquote, a healthy lifestyle? Some people work three jobs. So, like, do you know how exactly. bad the housing crisis is right now? Mm. And, like, people can't afford... Yeah. Like, do you think someone who's, like, working that much yeah. and is exhausted can even, you know, can prep really healthy food and can, mm. like, access a gym mm. or whatever, yeah. but... And also just a complete lack of understanding as well of like not even just um, sort of like socioeconomic issues that are and barriers like that. Also the barriers of 
mentally like people people don't understand like maybe yeah. this person has been shamed all all their life for their body size and they haven't gotten any smaller and do you know what i mean they've only like they've only gotten bigger mm-hmm. through yo-yo dieting like you don't understand you don't understand like the mental health implications of what an eating disorder is and you know like the drives of emotional eating and stress eating as being like very real things that not everybody has access to like therapy or resources to help them overcome those things so it's just like that's crazy to me julia that is actually like insane i know yeah i also think it's so ignorant of the fact that somebody could be born with a condition that they then have to obviously deal with throughout their life but then not only do they have to deal with the like you know like everyday consequences of it but now they have to pay for their quote-unquote poor health choices Mm -hmm. but they were born that way and i think that just implies that kind of anybody outside of that like really rigid standard of health that we see promoted in like in canada is um kind of like making poor choices or is to blame or is not as worthy you know yeah so everybody can read that article and you know just have their own (laughs) opinions about it but i did not enjoy it (laughs) yeah i was wondering abby if you have a like story of or or if you know of like an anecdote of some kind of like somebody who like weight stigma ended up like leading to really poor health outcomes or even like death because I just feel like people are people might be listening to this and like maybe don't see where we're coming from or haven't read a bit about weight stigma so if you have something to share with us like a real concrete story um of how harmful this can be I feel like that'd be really helpful for everyone yeah I I agree so um in the the presentation that or like the talk I guess that Samantha and I did on uh, we called it our focus on weight is bad for our health. Near the end, we did have um, a story about this. And actually, we, we took this slide. Um, Dr. Jacqueline Siegel did a similar presentation or like the same presentation. And we um, adapted a lot of her slides. So credit to her for this. Um, but yeah, so there's a woman named Ellen Maud Bennett. Um, and she really is a devastating example of people in larger bodies being essentially denied proper health care. So she died from an inoperable cancer after first being told to lose weight when she sought medical care. And so these are, this is a quote from her obituary. Over the past few years of feeling unwell, she sought out medical intervention and no one offered any support or suggestions beyond weight loss. Ellen's dying wish was that women of size make her death matter by advocating strongly for their health and not accepting that fat is the only relevant health issue. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So this is, uh, again, like a a whole can of worms, and there's a whole lot that plays into this in terms of um, just, like, in any time that, like, um, that a fat person goes to seek medical treatment, kind of, like, being weighed, and um, we know when they talk to their doctor, like, the only solution they get is lose weight, and so eventually people just don't go to the doctor because the, the weight stigma just is ever present, And so, and things get worse because, like, they might not go to the doctor because they don't want to experience the weight stigma um, and just be told to, to lose weight. So, yeah, really horrifying.
Abby, we would love it if you could tell us a little bit about the difference between disordered eating and eating disorders, because I feel like we see disordered eating thrown a lot, thrown out a lot now on social media um, and, you know, maybe in conversations with, with friends and family. To me, sometimes it just seems like a sub threshold eating disorder in a way. And I feel like we don't necessarily make that distinction with some like anxiety, for example, or depression. And part of me wonders if it's so a lot of I think this is like, particularly in people with eating disorders. There's this mentality of I'm not sick enough. And I really do think sometimes, like, how much of people saying, I engage in disordered eating, or my eating was disordered, how much of it is like, well, no, you probably did have an eating disorder, and you're just downplaying it because you didn't think you were sick enough. Wow. That's really, that is really impactful, just because I've heard people say that. I've heard people, and I didn't really, like, know that there was, like, not really a distinction because I've heard people say you can have disordered eating habits but not have an eating disorder that is true like I don't want to I don't want to say that like anyone who engages so I think it's yeah so I I just more of like a thought that I had that sometimes I wonder if people who are saying that are just kind of invalidating themselves but I do think um you know I guess technically like if someone like restricted a little bit and and maybe had a binge episode once in a while I guess that would be disordered eating yeah or or another term might be like dysregulated eating right um so kind of I guess that would maybe be like quote-unquote abnormal causing some distress but not like a significant amount of distress that it would be like a disorder um yeah so but I but I I yeah I will say I think you know there definitely are a lot of people who do engage in disordered eating behaviors and I think we all anecdotally know this like just from you know friendships people we talk to um that I think it's a lot more pervasive than we think like I remember um whenever COVID first whenever things all got shut down um, and like a lot of people my age, I downloaded TikTok, which has been really great for me. But that's a different story. Um, but I remember at first seeing some, I can't, there was some type of post. And I remember seeing so many comments of, you know, people who I'm only assuming are like young girls saying, um, I'm really sad that school was out because during school I didn't have to eat. Or like my, you know, I only had to eat at lunchtime and I would just have a snack. And then like I didn't have to eat during class and being in school kept me from eating. And now like there's nothing Mm -hmm. to keep me from eating because I'm home all the time. Um, So I do think, and, and then I guess we get into like, I guess it's all kind of semantics, but then what is the difference between a diet and disordered eating? nothing that's a really good (laughs) because yeah I I've definitely heard people on um talk about like how normal is it for like to be grumpy when I'm on a diet and everyone's saying oh yeah it's totally normal like everyone's grumpy when they're dieting like you're definitely Uh... like basically saying like you're supposed to be miserable when you diet yeah 
so t- like tell me the difference between that and like when oh. it becomes disordered like it's a very yeah. I-, I guess this is also kind of getting into you know like oh, most things in psychopathology and psychology are dimensional so it's not really like there's this hard like cut off um yeah something grace and i were talking about the other day was that we feel like sometimes the default and grace we can take this out if you don't want to completely put this fine in, but the default uh discussion between and this is a generalization but a lot of times the default discussion in a group of women is something to do with dissatisfaction about their bodies or dieting or the type of food and like things like that um and how that can be I think a lot of times people don't realize how the individuals around them are feeling like maybe you are thinking a lot about your um the diet that you're going on or the way that you're exercising and that is something that you want to discuss with your friends meanwhile individuals around you are like feeling triggered or upset by the things that you're talking about like it's almost such a um like pervasive type of discussion or topic of discussion um that I think people I just think people don't realize how crazy it is that that's what we spend our time talking about that's such a good point because it makes me think of um how you know eating disorders like we talked about earlier affect so many people um and like a variety Mm -hmm. of people they are more common in women and that's not to say that men don't experience eating disorders we know they do and we know you know kind of like with muscle building and and all of that but um you know eating disorders do affect a lot of women and and if not eating disorders then at the very least like really poor body image um and to to also to give you context i was in like a workshop i guess it was like a year and a half ago and like they were talking about eating disorder treatment and how one of the goals essentially was to get women to a point of normative body dissatisfaction um because as women there is a normal level of hatred for our bodies that we just accept and one of that's so sad awful um that's disgusting yeah and 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 i understand why like from the treatment standpoint that you know like at a certain point you can't necessarily get people to this super normal state where Mm -hmm. they're like love their body i i understand why that might be like an unreasonable treatment goal but it's really sad because i also think about like especially if you know like how like when you're dieting like when, when all you're thinking about is food and exercise and this and that the amount of like energy you could be spending on other things is ridiculous and and how much yeah. like really it's if you think about it like dieting and and horrible body image is a really great way to oppress women and and take up everyone's time and energy i said that mm-hmm. did i not say that exact thing yeah. julia <laughs> yeah grace said that literally yeah. that exact thing yesterday and it's so it's true. just a way to distract women from the like from their other talents from their other skills from the other incredible amazing things about them by causing them to constantly fixate on the way that their body looks and the way that their body appears and really it's the end of the day um it comes down to like a 
viewing your body through the male gaze it comes down to self-objectification theory right so it always comes back to yeah it always comes back to it that. always comes back to <laughs> the male gaze yeah it comes back to yeah. the patriarchy no but um <laughs> honestly <laughs> sometimes that's how, sometimes that's how i feel yeah but no kind of it does because yeah. it comes down to self-objectification theory in which women learn to view their bodies from the lens of someone else and generally that's that's men but it's from other people too it's from the societal gaze it's from the gaze of their friends their peers their family um and that causes them to objectify themselves right think of themselves as solely an object something that has to like look a certain way to reach that ideal in order to be accepted loved valuable um in society and 100 percent, it's a way of oppressing women and suppressing them from like your body is the least interesting thing about you yet diet culture and the way that you know this ideals of of fitness and health are portrayed it would make it seem like for women especially it's like the diehard most important thing about you yeah yeah it's really sad i was listening to um the latest maintenance phase episode on it was like on have you guys started listening to it it's yes so absolutely so recommended it we it's loved so it we, we're really loving okay, it um yeah. yeah so like on the latest episode they were talking about um oprah and like this wagon of fat episode oh. and and i remember like one of the things that like in the clips they had talked about how i think oprah at one point had said like if this is the most important thing to you and i just remember like that crushing me just hearing that because I know that like whenever you're in that mindset which a lot of people are in like eating disorder disordered eating or not like when you are dieting like it's such a good time suck um and it's really it's sad because um kind of like what you said a lot of the time like women and are like reduced to our bodies and we're not like I think that's why it's so important to also consider your values um because we a lot of the time we put a lot of our values on hold whenever we're so Mm -hmm. occupied with our bodies and our looks yeah um like if you think about I, I think a lot of people especially now like with this fitness culture that we have um a lot of people have like a really strict fitness like workout schedule that they're dedicated to um to the point where let's say I work out on like in the evenings and if someone asks me not during COVID times but if someone like asks me to go out for a drink or go out to dinner um like a lot of people say no um because but if you ask them like what they truly value they probably value friendship to some to some Mm -hmm. extent and connection but that's such a good point right but then kind of a lot of people end up putting that on hold or who was it who I saw someone who um didn't want to go on vacation because they were so oh I think this this was it was the same episode of maintenance phase (laughs) um where yeah talking about like not going on vacation because they didn't want to think about food and be around the food and all that um and it's so sad because Again, I'm sure that if you look at this person's, like, overarching values, I I bet, like, 
there were values on that vacation that were then put aside. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and I think I was saying this to Julia the other day. I, like, called Julia a couple days ago, and I was, like, on a walk, like, basically screaming into the phone. I was just so <laughs> heated about, you know, just, like, heated about the way that um, people were talking about food, like, just things I'd seen on social media and in some of, like, personal experience experiences I'd had. Um, and, you know, I was just so, like, angry because um, there was – there. There was a person who essentially was talking about how they've been on like, you know, like they're eating a certain way and they're like working out yet like they're still having episodes where they're overeating and they're still having episodes where they're like eating to the point where they're uncomfortable and like not feeling good and and this sort of thing. Right. Um, And they're just like, no, no, but I just need to keep doing what I'm doing and like it'll be fine. It's just like because I like. It's because, like, I can't stick to, like, the same, like, meals that I'm eating and the same exercise plan that I keep, like, overeating and stuff like that. And I just wanted to punch a wall because I'm like, no, no. If it's not working, it's not working, babe. Like, it's not working. Yeah. It's not working. Like, discipline's a myth. It's not like you're not disciplined enough or you're not no. trying hard enough. You don't care hard enough. It's just, yeah, it may not may not be serving you. It's too for, restrictive. In, yeah. in this um, presentation that or talk that Samantha and I did, one of the things we talk about is, is weight cycling. And kind of like people call it like yo-yo dieting, which is, um, um, yeah, yeah so, so weight cycling is kind of, I guess a result of yo-yo dieting or they go hand in hand where, you know, you might start at X number. I don't really want to say pounds, but, um, you might lose some weight and then, you know, diets work initially. People lose weight when they start a diet. Um, but we know that, you know, 95, 90, 98% of people like gain all the way back. Some people, I think it's like two thirds gain more than they had lost in the first place. Mm -hmm. And so eventually it's kind of this like up and down, up and down, up and down. And um, some people end up like gaining more weight than when they started at the end of this, which, Mm -hmm. you know, like we just talked about, weight is not the important part here. But like, think about what that does to your body when you go like up and down, up and down and, and like your hunger cues and your relationship with food. And so... A lot of people think, oh, it's just because I lack willpower. I just have to try harder. I have to try the next, like, the hardest diet. Like, I didn't do it well enough. Um, but your your body's not stupid. Like, your, you know, no, your no. body, it is, the, the human body has evolved. And you want it to stop you from starving. Um, and, and so, like, yeah, when you lose weight, the body knows it, like, ramps up hunger cues it might like make food even taste better um your body you know like if you think about when you go underwater and you're you don't breathe for a while because you're underwater when you come back up you take like like a huge breath Mm -hmm. like why would it not be the same with food if you're like constantly Mm -hmm. undernourishing yourself it you know that happens with like overeating and binge eating and so yeah like your body's smart it's trying to protect you. It's not a motivation or like a willpower thing. Like 
at a certain point you're just you're fighting biology and evolution you're like you're fighting your body well yeah that's that was such a good analogy and honestly so what we're gathering is it's not your fault that you can't that you keep binge eating or that you keep overeating when you're eating the same thing every day or only eating at specific times in ignoring your hunger cues like you're saying it's not your fault it's biological yeah exactly and I can't take credit for that I learned that analogy from Dr. Glenn Waller he's awesome so it's not not Love my it. own I don't want to take credit um but yeah that's exactly what it is like it's not your fault and of course like there are other yeah. reasons why people binge eat that's like why I'm studying what I'm studying totally um but I definitely think uh, yeah kind of like an obvious answer to at least some of it is like if you're severely undernourishing or not even severely like if you're just constantly undernourishing yourself like your body is going to want to like make up for that but also in your mind too like if you've heard of kind of like this last supper mentality or like diet starts monday and so if people are like constantly like this restraint like if people are constantly saying no i can't eat this no i can't eat this no i can't eat this then maybe let's say you are really craving chocolate and you have like a bite of chocolate and then you know well tomorrow i'm not gonna have this chocolate again because you know i gotta start my diet over then sometimes they're just like well gotta go all the way like this is the last time i'm gonna have it yeah exactly yeah yeah Yeah, exactly that mentality Mm -hmm. so yeah yeah like moral of the story is um it's not your fault (laughs) And people do have, and there are, like, so many reasons and reasons beyond our control, um, and restricting doesn't help. Totally. And and I think one thing, too, I'd I'd read this, I also read this somewhere um, on Instagram. I follow a lot of, like, I just follow a lot of accounts that are, like, you know, anti-food rules, anti-diet culture, um, just because it really just makes me feel good. And... There is one post in particular I saw where this dietitian had posted, imagine if we treated hunger the way that we treat going to the washroom, like peeing. She said we would literally all be peeing our pants all the time if we treated, you know, peeing. Like, I mean, yeah, if we treated peeing like we do hunger, we'd be peeing our pants all the time. And I'm like, that's so true. That's so true because it's like, it'll be it'll be 10 a.m. and somebody ate breakfast at 7, right? And they're like, oh, Two hours till lunch. I'm but I'm hungry now. But like, it's not time for me to eat yet. I have to wait until like my like lunch time, my specific like food yeah. lunch time. Like, no, your body's it's a biological need. Like, your body's telling you you're hungry. Like, listen to your hunger. I really mm-hmm. I have I've heard that analogy too, and I really do like it because the other kind of like interesting part about it is like sometimes we have to pee and we can't and and like and and like it's or sometimes like if you're about to go somewhere you're like oh i'm gonna try to go pee now so like we do that with hunger too like we don't always listen to our hunger signals and like that's normative too like if you know that you're gonna be gone like you might like eat a little bit extra or sometimes you're hungry and you're just not somewhere you can eat like it happens um anyway that's Mm -hmm. like another interesting little piece of that analogy but i i totally agree or, or, like, drinking water or anything else. Like, why is hunger so different? Like, why are we... Why is this, like, the one bodily function that we, like... are Like, yeah, our body's so intelligent and has, like, its own intuition. And, like, 
Why are we just ignoring it? I wonder why. Yeah. It's almost like it's like a societal influence. <laughs> yeah. And and it's so yeah. sad. Like, if you think about, like, why you're hungry, like, what you're the thing, you know, it kind of gets, like, back to, like, mm. self-objectification and body neutrality and, I guess, self-compassion, too. Like, why is your body hungry? Well, it, like, has organs. And, you know, if you can walk, if you can breathe on your own, if you could, like, our body performs so many functions for us we need to nourish it like the body needs carbs that's like a great source of energy um Mm -hmm. yeah and Mm -hmm. also just like chocolate tastes really good and that's okay yeah (laughs) of course yeah i think grace and i talked about it that in our first episode like i think a lot of times people don't consider everything that their body is doing for them and that like food is fuel and we need food to operate and to like not have brain fog and to perform well. Okay, to wrap up this episode, Abby, can you maybe go over some like warning signs of maybe like unhealthy behaviors or some resources that you would recommend um, people check out? Yeah, um, so the first, I guess something that I didn't know for a while is that there's a huge overlap between eating disorders and anxiety um like it's a really like a review paper just came out and so yeah there is a lot of overlap and so i guess one of the important things and this kind of goes hand in hand with like thinking that you're not sick enough is to kind of it doesn't always have to be that you're engaging in these like really extreme behaviors in order to have an eating disorder like you know we kind of talked about this earlier but if you're you can have an eating disorder and not be underweight um you can have an eating disorder and not be self-inducing vomiting like you can have bulimia and not be self-inducing vomiting Uh, there are eating disorders that are not anorexia nervosa or bulimia nervosa um and so that's kind of one important thing um but the thing that i the thing that like sticks out to me is um to i don't want to say um be honest with yourself because that i'm trying to figure out like a better way to word that um but just to kind of keep an eye on your thoughts in terms of maybe like why you're doing certain things um For example, something that comes up in this one I also find interesting is that some people might use dietary restrictions to, like, mask an eating disorder in a way. So, um, if someone is vegan, um, you know, like, you can be, like, I'm personally vegan and I do it for, like, you know, my own kind of ethical, ethical reasons, um, you should see what I actually eat, like, it's not for health, I can tell you that. Um, but, you know, some people will do it, will, like, will do it for health. Um, or maybe they, like, might think that they're doing it in order to be healthy. But, and so externally, like, other people might see, like, oh, she's only eating fruit because she's vegan. Um, and so sometimes, and I'm not, like, by no means am I saying that, like, everyone who's vegan has an eating disorder. But it's just kind of something that's 
interesting to to keep an eye on like reasons for doing for using certain behaviors um same with like exercising even if someone isn't exercising excessively it can still be dysregulated or dysfunctional so again i guess kind of like what i mentioned earlier like if you have a workout schedule and if you were to have pretty extreme anxiety if something got in the way of that schedule that might be a sign that like it's time to look into resources or if you have certain eating habits um and you eat like a certain way or you have a meal plan and something like gets in the way of that and prevents you from like eating that way and then you become extremely anxious or emotionally dysregulated or whatever that also might be a sign and and you know that could also be um other things so it's not like this means you have an eating disorder but it's just kind of something to keep in mind um that those Mm -hmm. might be some signs that it's time to look into resources and and kind of reconsider or i think a huge one is like if you're thinking about food all the time like if you're hungry Mm. and thinking about food all the time and if your first thought when you're hungry isn't like okay like what am i going to do to nourish my body maybe also time to to look into resources um totally totally Mm -hmm. If the thought is something like, why am I hungry again? Like, I just ate an hour ago. That's that type of thing, right? It, it needs to be more so, like, what can I eat now just to, like, you know, like you said, fuel my body, nourish my body. Yeah. Or or another thing, um, and again, none of these, like, n- you know, you no one can really diagnose you with an eating disorder unless you're Mm-mm. going to, like, a psychologist. And, and obviously that's inaccessible for a lot of people, so... I don't want to be saying like you have an eating disorder if, if you're doing this but these are just things that, <laughs> totally. that these are just things like even if it's not an eating disorder if it's not disordered eating like might still be something to like look into if, if this is mm-hmm. um going on another thing that was also kind of in learning more about eating disorders myself and my training that i didn't know about um was body checking I was just about to bring it up. I never, okay, I never knew that this was, like, an eating disorder thing, or I guess, like, a body dysmorphia thing, Um, and it's really, like, it can be a, it's, like, it is a problem. So, body checking is kind of, um, I'm trying to think of the actual, like, definition, but I guess, let's say every time you walk by a mirror, you look at, let's say you're concerned about your arms or your stomach. And you like look at your stomach and like mm. analyze it. You look at your arms and analyze it. And you have this like drive to like look. And it's like multiple times a day or like, yeah. Or some people have different ways, but it's basically a way of, it, when you like learn about it is, it is what it sounds like. It's like you're constantly checking on your body and it's like mm-hmm. looking if it's like changed or just analyzing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To, to reassure yourself that it hasn't grown, right? Or changed in, in some way, like, that you would consider negative, right? Um, so, yeah, no, body checking is huge. I was about to bring that up. And the other one that I wanted to ask you about, too, was food talk. So, like, the way that people talk about food, for example, so either if they're, like, talking about food a lot, as in 
maybe that's a sign that they're always that they're very hungry or the way that they like talk about food and this honestly this might be like a societal thing too but I wanted to get your perspective on it of like labeling certain things as good and bad and getting like immense guilt or even just guilt period if you are eating something that's quote unquote bad it's so hard because I definitely think this is like a societal one um like I remember being at a presentation a little while ago and someone was talking about like if we think about um we could call them like pleasure foods they're often like when you see them marketed there's this like hedonic um air about it right like if you see Mm -hmm. like the yogurt commercials like aren't using like (laughs) sex appeal for their product but i find like that's right but then a lot of these like the um yeah like the fun foods pleasure foods whatever you want to call them um i don't want to label them as bad a lot of them like are kind of using like sex to sell the product or they're using like your guilty pleasure or someone like sneaking Mm. away to like have a piece of chocolate um so i definitely think it's hard because i feel like it's so like in our culture that mm-hmm. it's one of those things that's almost normative but again I guess it is kind of like levels of guilt so I guess like a way that you can kind totally. of think about it is like some people might and um and I'm not saying that this is like something that we should just accept because yeah I, I, I don't think people should be feeling guilty like after eating but um if if you like someone who has maybe like a normative level of body dissatisfaction or whatever like maybe someone might feel a little bit of guilt and then kind of quickly get over it like in a couple minutes whatever but like if you ate something that you quote unquote weren't supposed to and then you feel guilt for like hours or like for the rest of the day or if it's like an overwhelming sense of guilt that you like can't concentrate on anything else that could be like a distinction um it's the same with like body image like let's say you try on a pair of jeans that were in the back of your closet or just like anything like you try on some clothes of your own um and if that like if you're having a breakdown in the dressing room and if you're thinking about it for the rest of the day that's not good um like some people might try it on and say ah that doesn't fit that sucks be a little bit upset about it, you know, for a very short amount of time and then kind of move on with their day. Whereas someone who is having more issues and this is affecting more would maybe think about it for like, it would maybe like ruin their day. And that's kind of another Mm -hmm. distinction, I guess. Yeah. I think those are all really great things for people to watch out for. And yeah, like you said, we'll include some resources in the description of this episode, as well as on the Instagram, like in the slides. Um, yeah. And Abby, do you want to tell us, I guess, maybe like where we can find you, whether it's like your Twitter or some of accessing some of your research? I I feel like she's on Twitter. All the academics are on Twitter. (laughs) I just got Twitter last week because... Oh my, so it's new and fresh. All the academics are on Twitter, are they not? They are. They They really are. And it's it's really interesting because like you see people in like a different way even on Twitter and like, first of all, who decided to combine like social media and Twitter? Like, I'm so afraid that I'm gonna 
accidentally like something or I don't know like I'm just like I need to be <laughs> not that I'm going around liking <laughs> horrible things or anything but I feel like I no, really have yeah. to like curate my academic tour. Yeah. yeah, well, it's like you like a meme and then your peers yeah. can you see like the meme. memes you're liking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, or like, yeah. Um, so, yes, yeah, so I just got it, partly because I knew I was going to be on here and I was like, I need to oh, cool. get a Twitter um, because that's what everyone does. So, I love yeah, it. Yeah, so I did just get Twitter. Perfect. Um, I can give you it below. Um, yeah, we can pop that in the description. Yeah, that'd be great. And definitely also um, Samantha's Twitter because she yeah tweets a lot about and just her in general her research is really awesome and um you know like on her twitter she says somewhere like i think in her bio it's like bridging the gap between weight stigma and eating disorders and to me knowing what i know now it's almost funny that there is even a gap to begin with because it just seems like the two are so related and you know like weight stigma harms everyone like of course it harms people in larger bodies like more of course but um I'm going off on a tangent here but I'm just saying I think her I think her research is so important I think it's um like an obvious direction to go in and to check her out too Mm -hmm. well Abby thank you so much for talking with us we I learned so much and I think all our listeners will as well. So totally. thank you so much. And a little reminder to everybody to check out the resources in the description for more information and yeah, and to find Abby and all her work. Thanks for having me. This was awesome. 